Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello, this is the China Sports Insider Podcast. I am Hyde Valian, and sitting right next to me is author of Sporting Superpower, it is the China Sports Insider, Mark Dreyer. Today, Mark talks to Yop Biersma, who until very recently was a coach with the Chinese Olympic ski cross team. He is not with the team anymore, and we're going to find out what happened. Mark, we are talking on Wednesday. The Olympics start nine days, nine days from today. And I'm going to ask you with a question, and I'm not Sure, you're going to believe this, but did you know that there's some confusion with the Chinese men's ice hockey team? <laughs> before, sorry, sorry to laugh. Hey, before we get into it, I I uh, yeah. I forgot to ask you something last week. Okay, how is Dry January going? Uh, dry January was not. Oh God, Mark, <laughs> I I had I had a good week. I had a good week. So it's no longer dry. It's so, not. It's not dry anymore. But you know, February is coming up. I can tell you. I can tell you, folks listening at home. Um, Hygs, he's looking a bit scruffy. The uh, the beard is growing. Okay. But but I haven't finished yet. There's a sparkle in the eye, folks. <laughs> he is in a good mood. <laughs> I don't mood. think. Can't confirm. Maybe Hyde can confirm. I don't think he's been drinking this morning. No, no, no drinking this morning. But I do have. But not. But not a dry month. Listen, my beard guy is on holiday. It is Chinese New Year, oh. so uh, I had I made an appointment for Friday for another with another beard guy. Don't, so let's see how. Don't it goes. miss that because uh, I think I'm right in saying like it's hard to get a haircut immediately afterwards. It's like bad luck immediately afterwards to get your haircut after Chinese New Year. Yeah. Oh, so okay. you got to got to get it done beforehand. No, no, no. I'll get I'll get it done before and it's going to look it's going to look amazing. But <laughs> but my but my uh you know, but but my stepdaughter who um you know, I haven't seen in a couple of months cuz she's in quarantine right now uh, after coming back from the US. She says I talk about my beard too much. So Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, on yeah. with the show. Yeah, okay. On with the show. <laughs> so back to the Chinese men's ice hockey team. Confusion reigns still. What is going on? Well, we have 11 rosters of the 12 teams. Um, surprise, surprise. Uh, we're still waiting on the Chinese team to be announced. Now, from what I can tell, the entire delegation uh, had a meeting with the IOC on Sunday, uh, this, three days before. They were supposed to have named every single athlete in the entire delegation. We still don't have final confirmation. Um, so there's a few little sports that we're, still, that we're still waiting on, even though it's mostly there. 
in terms of the hockey team, it was going to be, I was hearing several days ago and then, and then basically update daily updates. The last I heard was 2 p.m. Beijing time Tuesday this week. So yesterday that's come and gone. It seems to me that there are, um, uh, there's, there's two issues here. One is Colin Joe, one of the, one of the, the members has a back issue. He's injured. And, and so I don't know how bad it is. I don't know if, if they're waiting to see whether he can recover in time. They have, uh, they had 29 players in, um, in camp. Now the roster is 25, but there does seem to be some conversation about, uh, having some people on standby. So in the cases of, of, um, people getting dinged for COVID, you might be able to uh, uh, make allowances and, and swap some people into the squad. So that's kind of still, I think, uh, under discussion um, for, for some of the teams. So there's, there's Colin Joe and the injury and, and whether he's going to be back in time. Then two of the players uh, actually got uh, an, um, a positive test for COVID in Moscow before boarding to come back to China. So they're currently in Moscow. So it looks like those two are out. And that is Alex Rich and, uh, and Mikhail Abramov. Now, doesn't sound very Chinese, but uh, uh, he's one of the two Russians who's been playing with the team for, for the last little while. And so he qualifies under the naturalization rules. They've since tested negative And from what I can find out, seem to be okay. So they're waiting to see whether they can join or whether they're already going to be replaced. There's a lot of confusion going on. But in the meantime, we still don't have official confirmation. So it's five consecutive days with the negative test that they need, right? Well, that would be if you are, you know, in the bubble. So they're not actually in, they're not in the country right now. Meanwhile, a couple of the staff members on arrival in Tianjin tested positive. So it means the whole team is now in quarantine in Tianjin. That quarantine has been extended. Uh, they've sort of done a self-imposed quarantine for, for the Chinese team um, coming into China. This is not sort of like the normal bubble rules. They don't currently know how long they're going to be in quarantine or lockdown, as some of them are talking about uh, on social media, wow. uh, before they can get out. And their first game, I think, is Feb 10 against yes. the U.S. Yes. So there is still a little bit of time, but this is not an ideal... No. Lineup. Now, on the plus side, these guys have been playing together for months and months and months, years in some cases, whereas the Canadian roster, the uh, you know the, the, the American roster, these guys are going to be meeting each other for the first time pretty much on the plane and then, you know, straight into some training sessions and, and into game one. Yeah. Now, on paper, they're still... They're still a better team. There's some good players in there. You know, you've got uh, from Canada, you've got Eric Stahl. Um, you know, he's won the cup. He was playing with the Montreal Canadiens just last year. And then at the other end, you've got 19-year-old Owen Power, who's, who is one of the top prospects in the game. So, you know, they're not NHL all-stars, not the current sort of prime guys, but uh, there's some, some serious talent on those rosters. And what about the women's team, the Chinese women's team? Is there any news there? Still waiting for confirmation. I kind of think I know what the what the the roster is going to be. It's it's as expected. It's going to be a mix of uh, these heritage players, mostly from Canada, with a few Americans in there as well, and then the other half would be the homegrown local Chinese. That's been the roster that they've been largely playing with in the women's Russian ho- hockey league this season. So no surprises. But they, I th- I'm assuming they're just announcing the two together. It will possibly be today it might be out by the time this uh the, this podcast um goes live but uh yes just just delays all around which given the ups and downs we've had over the last 12 months um with <laughs> with chinese ice hockey yeah. is not surprising yeah. but um you know let, let's see maybe <laughs> who knows so there's probably going to be some more surprises around the corner given the way things have gone yeah for sure now you mentioned a couple of covid dropouts uh we've heard of a couple of 
well, at least one high-profile dropout, um, Russian Nikita Chugubov, who competes in the skeleton and, and won silver at Pyeongchang, he's out. And so is Mikhail Kolyada, a figure skater. He was a long shot for a medal, but he would have helped the Russian team um, in the team competition. And let's face it, um, between... Now, and when this episode goes out, there's probably going to be a lot more. So the latest stats that have been released from the IOC, there is one person who's tested positive who comes under the athlete slash delegation category. We don't know whether it's a, an athlete or, or a coach or, or related personnel. Uh, there have been other people who have tested positive, but these are participants, you know, who could be broadcasters and they could be, you know, uh, part of the team setting up uh, the equipment. And, and so those are, the, those are the people who are largely inside the bubble already. Uh, the last time they announced uh, the, the details, it was 2,000 of 11,000 had arrived. Now, most of the athletes are going to be coming in later. Mm. Um, I mentioned a, a couple of people on the, on the Chinese um, related delegation in terms of the staff, uh, but they're in Tianjin, so I think they don't count as being technically in the bubble. So, so it wouldn't be it wouldn't be them. Um, I don't know whether we're going to get any clarity on this, but yeah, it's going to be the next week or so where we're really going to start hearing whether these athletes are testing positive once they're here. Uh, but of course, many are getting screened out before they even board the plane. You know, you might remember last week we talked to uh, Alexander Amut Kilda, who's planning to come to Beijing tomorrow, uh, Thursday the 27th. And he said something like uh, it would be better to... Yeah, he's kind of joking. Like his yeah, girlfriend, joking. Michaela yeah. Schifrin, yeah. she's already had it. So yeah. she doesn't have to worry about, you know, she's she's recovering. She doesn't have to worry about that, getting that, that, that positive test. Since then, there's been a change in the testing system. What's happening? So there's a different threshold uh, uh, and, and different levels uh, in, in terms of what counts for a positive test. Now, very roughly speaking... Um, if you have a higher number, then it means you're more likely to test positive. And China had set that number at 40. Now, in North America, some of the sports leagues were as low as 30. Some were at 35. So there's been a little bit of a compromise. China has brought that number down from 40 to 35. And the, the messaging has very much been that this is, you know, this is a compromise between holding a successful games and, uh, you know, pandemic uh, prevention. So this is generally seen as a good thing. I just kind of wonder, though, that... Um, yeah, and, and again, I, I think this is a good thing. Um, uh, it should produce fewer um, positive results. And, and there'll still be screening out, uh, you know, the people who are, who are seriously sick and, and infectious. So there's no issues from that point of view. But I think um, the focus has been on foreign athletes less likely to test positive. But there are a lot of Chinese athletes, as we've already discussed, overseas who have been in the final stages of competition. And I know that with at least two teams, they've had some issues with COVID, uh, picking it up just, just from training camps and so on. So this also affects the Chinese athletes returning. And I just kind of wonder whether that fed into the, the the Chinese decision on this. And of course, it's all, it's always a compromise and an ongoing uh, discussion between the Chinese organizers and the IOC. But the Chinese potentially benefit from this as well. One more COVID story for me. And this is the one story that caught my eye this week. Yeah. Uh, the Swiss snowboarder, Patrizia Kuma. Yeah. She won gold at Sochi. Um, as we know, athletes had a choice. They could either get vaccinated and not quarantine or not get vaccinated and spend three weeks in isolation in a hotel in Beijing. Standard entry rules into China, yeah. She chose option B. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's punchy. 
but you know, like you said, she's she's obviously a pretty big contender as de, as you know defending champ. Yeah. Uh, so she's gonna have a rough time. I mean, look, it's it's entirely up to her if that's what she wants to do. But it's just not the best preparation. You know, she is not gonna be able to leave her room. Point that I was gonna make was, you know, this isn't Djokovic level stuff. Like she's playing by the rules. This is this is the rule. You yeah. Know? And yeah. and so she's that's what she's doing. And look, I've never won a gold medal. <laughs> at anything, I would like to win a gold medal, but I've never. I'll, won a gold I'll give medal. you one participation. I thank you very make much. Make it gold, but it's just it's just how how does this elite athlete who you know when your competitors are either training or competing, like how does she hope to compete with them? That's, that's I mean, amazing. look, you know, she'll have to be doing kind of you know all the physical routines and and yeah. staying fit inside the room. She'll have that kind of training uh, regime set up, but not being able to you know. Be on the be on the snow will be tough. I hope that she has built in enough time to at least kind of get her legs back underneath her, as it were. You know, because when everyone else is doing the final preparations, I mean, it's mentally it's going to be tough, but uh, but you know, physically as well, just just kind of lose that feel to a certain extent. But hey, she's one of the best there is. Um, so I I think for the sake of the games, we we want all the athletes to be at their best. We've talked about this before, you know having that mental strength to cope with what's not exactly isolation, but people are going to be training, eating back to the hotel rooms. They're not going to be socializing. It's not going to be a fun games. So being able to stay focused and, and mentally strong, it could, could mean the difference between a, a medal or not. One more thing to talk about before we get to our interview with Yope. Yes. Uh, so the ticket situation and uh, last week, for those of you who listened, uh, I was sort of sitting here uh, a little bit smugly, thinking ah, I, <laughs> you I, I, smug. <laughs> I may, I may have, may have an option to to, to get uh, a ticket or two. Turns out I've been screened out. Um, I would consider myself fully vaccinated. I have two of the Chinese vaccines, Sinovac, and then I got a, a BioNTech Pfizer booster. Um, apparently, that doesn't count. I have two incomplete series of vaccinations according to the official rules here. So I am unable to go. Meanwhile, Haig, you are going to have to be representing the China Sports Insider podcast at the Olympics. Possibly. 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 Fingers crossed for you. Yeah. So this week, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs sent out an invitation uh, to apply for a limited number of events. There were 50 yeah. events that you could choose from. And that's that's it. Yeah. So we don't we haven't heard anything back. They sent this to uh, diplomatic missions uh, across Beijing. I, I possibly across China. I'm not I'm not sure. But you know this is the interesting thing to me. So given the diplomatic boycott, I guess Canadians, Americans, Australians who who work at these embassies yeah, yeah, they wouldn't, wouldn't be able, able to, to go. go. Yeah. So they would have screened out those countries definitely. And, and you sent me that document about the um, the testing. Mark. Yeah, so you're going to need to have, if you are successful, you're going to need to do two PCR tests before the event, uh, two PCR before every event that you go to, and then two afterwards, and then monitor yourself uh, temperature-wise for seven days afterwards. Some of the school kids going, I think, have to actually like be in isolation or at least stay at home for seven days or more. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. I would not go if I had to stay at well, that's the thing. I mean, there's, there's kind of been various waves of, of, you know, they're not not necessarily struggling to, to find people, but um, a lot of people don't qualify because the uh, the threshold is pretty high. The question for me is, what do I wear <laughs> if I go? Like, I, I, I'm not really a flag Just, guy. I, I'm not, I, so get, I mean, the ticket, the most, get the ticket first. Get then the ticket we, first. Then we can no, worry about No, 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 no. have to think about the wardrobe first. I, you know, I think the most Canadian thing I own is a sweater with Drake's 
photo on it. Okay. So I think that's what I have to wear. Right. If I do go. Uh, sure. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll, 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 uh, I'll I would that. just say be warm because <laughs> if you're at one of these outdoor venues, you probably have to get there very early for, for screening and processing yeah. and testing. And then you'll be sitting there. It gets cold. It gets cold when you can't move around. Until very recently, Yop Viersma was the strength and conditioning coach for China's ski cross team. He was abruptly let go after he was diagnosed with COVID. What happened? Well, you can find out right now. We caught up with him in Calgary, Alberta. Yop, thanks so much for, for, for chatting to us. Just give us a sense of, of what you've been through over the last few weeks. You're in Europe uh, and now you're in Canada. What's happened over, over the, those, that, that last little period? Well, we're staying in Europe, actually in France, till Christmas Eve. Uh, we had our last uh, Europa Cup competition over there, and we moved to Canada, uh, Calgary, for, for the next phase and the next competition. Uh, we arrived there at uh, Christmas Day and started our, our training camp. First days were kind of tough because it was so cold there that the ski resorts were closed and we had to do some alternative training sessions. From there on, we were able to do our specific training at the ski course track. Then we got the message that the competition was canceled. So the, can the competition was supposed to be in uh, Sunridge, Edmonton, and it got canceled because of the cold and also COVID cases among the staff. In the end, it turned out to be an, uh, a longer training camp without competition. The team is planning to go back to China for uh, the last preparation phase for the Olympic Games. Unfortunately for you, you kind of had a bit of an incident there. So, so talk, talk us through that in terms of um, you know the the COVID problems that you had. Yeah, my, my COVID problem, um, yeah, was actually that I tested positive on the day of arrival in Calgary at the airport. There's a random selection of of travelers who have to do uh, a COVID test, and uh, unfortunately, uh, I tested positive. So from there on. I'm required to do isolation, which I followed, of course, and stay 10 days in isolation in, uh, in Calgary. Yeah, in the end, the result is that a consequence is actually uh, of the zero tolerance policy in China that I had to leave the team. So I will not join them in, uh, in the trip to China. You know, how, how do you feel about the whole thing? How, how, how it's all played out? Like, are you upset or are you just kind of like, well, you know, it's just unfortunate and wish them all the best? Mixed feelings, mixed feelings for sure, because you... You work towards the Olympic Games. That is the end goal. That is the objective. We managed to to qualify. So in the end, you want to be you want to be part of it. Continue the coaching uh, job as I have. On the other hand, I I know what the policy is like in China. We had some examples before in uh, in other Chinese teams. You can see it coming. Not that you test positive, of course. We have very very strict pandemic prevention rules and measures. So we do everything to to prevent it. But as you know, it's um, it's spreading very fast here in Canada as well. Even though I might be infected in France or on the way to Calgary, you can see it coming that in the end, uh, you have to leave the team when you test positive. I mean, I think this is this is something that all athletes from all countries are facing right now. And, and the worry about, you know, getting that positive test before they get on a flight to China. Obviously, a lot of the Chinese teams, if they'd already qualified, my understanding is that they were basically embedded in China already in isolation to, to, to keep them safe. But some of the other teams had to still go out overseas into Europe and North America to qualify. Is that correct? That's kind of why they're overseas, potentially taking that risk that otherwise Chinese teams wouldn't be taking. 
Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So in the beginning, the, the policy of Chinese winter sport administration is that athletes who, uh, who have the quota for the Olympic Games, they stay in China. So less risk, less risk of, uh, of contamination and continue training as much as possible in, in, in close environment. So that is the policy. You know, for us, we still had more potentials in our team. So there was still a chance of getting more quotas. In the end, it was decided that also the one who was qualified for Olympic Games would travel with us to get more experience and, and to continue progression because the athletes are uh, mainly in development stage. So they need, they need training, they need competition to, to become better. Yeah, that was a little bit the, the reason to stay abroad, to go abroad and try to get more points and, and more quota spots. Yeah, that's kind of unfortunate. You, you've in, in some ways been a victim of, of, of that that decision to be abroad instead of being already tra- training in China. But give us a brief introduction. What's your experience before joining the Chinese team and, and how did you first get hooked up with them a few years ago? I'm born and raised in the Netherlands, right? So I... Um... I studied human movement sciences and started relatively young as an SNC coach in the beginning for, for track and field, my, my first love in sports. Later on, uh, I worked for quite a number of talent academies in, uh, in the province I was, I was living in back then. I started looking nationally. At some point, there was a high performance director and head coach of, of Chinese national speed skating team. Um, they wanted to bring in more knowledge, more coaches from, from the Netherlands. And they recruited me, so that was that was actually the start of my my China adventure at the end of 2018. And I started the my job as SNC coach for the cross discipline team, cross discipline speed speed skating long track. And after one season, I became head SNC of the the national speed skating elite category. You know, the Dutch, from my perspective, very well known in long track in particular. Um, so you were recruited kind of based on that, but then you went into the, the, the program in China, which was both, both overseeing long, long and short track. Is that correct? Not completely. So I, I was solely working for, for long track. It, it is true that the long track and short track teams, they, they trained in the same location in the fiscal preparation uh, period. And high performance director was overseeing both programs, but they split it up later on and Dutch high performance director was overseeing the, the long track program for a while. Yeah, so basically he was the reason that I um, I started the work for China. What was that experience like compared with with what you'd been doing back in Holland? It was it was completely different. It it was in the beginning it was an, a huge reorganization. So they merged uh, many different teams, and so it was it was a big startup. So everything needs to be needed to be structured, organized in in a proper way for, for training, for logistics, for, for everything. Chinese teams, they have a lot of staff members. It's, it's a big organization, many people uh, who have a say in the matter. That was already um, a difference from, from the beginning. On the other hand, there, there is quite a lot of political interference. So I think most organizations in the world, they, there's politics involved. But in China, it's just way more than, than I was used to. Basically, every step you take, uh, within, if it's about training methods, if it's about traveling, competition, everything needs to be be approved, and that takes time. And and in the end, it's it's many last minute decisions and and changes. For me, that asks flexibility and improvisation and um, at high level. Did, did did you feel that 
your input was being taken on board? You know, were, were you being listened to or was it sort of, um, you know, they were there because they had to have a certain number of foreign coaches and, and you know, you tick that box or like how, how valued did you feel? Or, or was it really, you know, different people, the people who had hired you perhaps kind of wanted your input, but some of the other parties involved that you alluded to there kind of had other ideas? Well, there, there was um, a good collaboration of foreign coaches, a certain number of Chinese assistant coaches. And, and for me as an SNC coach, yeah, I had kind of a free hand in what I could could program in, in, in discussion with the head coach, of course. That worked out pretty well. So I have to say this this year with with speed skating, um, when it comes to my job, my tasks was was pretty okay. We we had of course influence from from above, and we had to deal with certain requirements, which is which is normal in China, and that those are sometimes challenging moments to to deal with that matter, and at the same time focus on the program as you. You, you think it's optimal, uh, you want to, to execute. Can you give an, give an example of, of that sort of <laughs> you know, <laughs> interference, perhaps? You know, it's, you have to think of leaders who, who are um, no experts themselves. It's impossible to be an expert anyway in, in all the different winter sports or, or summer sports. And still, they come up with, with ideas. And those ideas can be good for one sport, but not for another. And usually though those ideas are projected on all the sports. So you always have to come up with with a way to show them that you that you take the idea serious and, and you want to implement, but at the same time you know it's not always useful and you have to follow your own way. Yeah, that that that's that's one thing. Another thing is there were a certain number of tests. Um, I think you heard about it uh, before, uh, also with in preparation for other Olympics, uh, that they have to execute and physical testing program those are not very specific to the to the sports but they need to score a certain number of points to be able to stay in the team it's it's not not that black and white in the end but yeah you have to have you have to deal with that, those kind of tests and and execute uh, like the way they want um just a few small examples but there there are way more uh... it's something that that you know i've heard so many times i remember in, in soccer once there was a guy he, he was one of the officials for from the cfa the chinese football association and his background was actually he uh from some waterworks college right so completely absolutely no football experience whatsoever and he came up with this genius idea that <laughs> that um players who competed against each other in the chinese super league week in week out were, would be competitors and therefore there's no way they could ever work together on the same national team. <laughs> it's just, and everyone was just like, okay. Uh, but like when you have leaders kind of making things that bizarre, you know, it's very difficult. Was there any, ever a sentence, you know, like a phrase or a directive that you were just like, you know, perhaps without mentioning names that you were just like, oh my God, what is going on here? Uh, I can give you, I can give you one more example. Um, what sometimes happened is that I think one of the leaders hears an interview or reads uh, a report about about a match, about a game. For example, there was a China won gold medal, I think, in, in canoeing, one of the canoeing events in, uh, in Tokyo Olympics. The Chinese athlete said that he almost exploded during the race. Yeah, that's an example they take literally. So then all the teams get the message, uh, you have to train like you explode every, every time. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Wow. That, that, what? A, but but not literally explode. 
obviously. No, that, then it, then in <laughs> well, the end you yeah, have to you have to show them that every training you reach a certain max, you know, and if that's a a max strength or max heart rate, you you can fill it in. But usually it pops up and you find a way to to write about it or, or show a video and you can continue the work you're uh, you're doing. So it's 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 not that that difficult to deal with it but it, it it happens i believe that that china won its first long track gold in vancouver i think if i'm if i'm remembering that correctly but how do you think that 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 china will do from your per- perception of the team and your experience with the team how do you think china will do in long track um in, at these upcoming games i think pretty good if you see the results they are uh, they are showing this this year in uh, in, in in world cups yeah, they did increase the increase the level. Maybe they will not win the number of medals they they had in mind, but I I do believe that they can win uh, probably two three medals. That 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 is possible. And and one of the athletes won a medal before, a bronze medal. He's doing pretty uh, pretty good in the five hundred meters. And they have a second guy with with true potential for for winning medal. So I, I think they can they can surprise us in in a good way. There were reports that that Wang Meng, who was a pretty well known short track skater herself and then she was the high performance director right who who kind of was i think partly responsible for bringing in a lot of the foreign coaches what happened there there were kind of reports going around that that she got fired and then you guys were all kind of you know no longer had her support so so you know what's your perspective on how that all turned out and, and how did your uh how did your 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 journey with the with the long track uh team finish before you moved on to the to the skiing about Wang Mong, I, I can't say much about that. I was not involved in everything what happened uh, behind the behind the scene, behind the stage. You know, in the end, we we finished the whole season. So after the last World Cup, the World Cup Finals in March 2020, the team had uh, had a break. So their off season, uh, post season break. I mean, foreign coaches they they went for holiday, and most of them were kind of waiting to return to the team. But we found out that it was a massive reorganization again. So first, the team got disbanded, probably with the idea to put a new management in it on it and to start from, I wouldn't say from scratch, but to have a new beginning. Yeah, as a result, the foreign coaches were not being asked back to the team and they, they went in a new direction. Right now, the team consists of Chinese and Korean coach. Yeah, that's about that's about it. What I can say, uh, I, I think they 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 replaced the whole management and most of the coaches, so they, they went in a new direction. It it does seem to be sort of a, a you know something we see across all Chinese sports. Like if you look at the history of the the national team coach for for the Chinese soccer team, it's a foreign coach and then a Chinese coach and then a foreign coach and then a Chinese coach. And of course, like you know, when when they don't get those instant results. Management thinks, well, we must be doing it wrong. So it's because we had a foreign coach, and then because we had a Chinese coach, <laughs> it's just just going in circles a little bit. Met, yeah. <laughs> um, so, how did you go from there? Did did you get recruited again for the the ski cross team, or, or was there a transition there? What happened? Well, my personal story is that, um, like I said, I went for a holiday. My holiday became a little bit longer, so uh, I had a really good time in Canada. But at some point, uh, I was eager to to work again as as an coach, and I knew the the job for speed skating was was done. You look for opportunities. I got in contact with the Swiss head coach of of the ski cross team. That was because I have 
pretty good connections in, in, in China. And I think they appreciated the work I had done, got an interview. Uh, I became interested in the, in the world of ski cross. I'm guessing that China's pretty new to ski cross, certainly at the top levels, right? We're not expecting any medals, or at least uh, realistically, there, there aren't any medal prospects there. So, so how does your work differ there? How, how easily are you able to translate your, your long track skills in, from strength and conditioning over to something like that? For me, that was not that difficult. Of course, it starts with analyzing. It starts with analyzing the sport. What kind of energy systems are involved? What kind of impacts are there on the body? Uh, what are the, the the most important technical technical skills the the athletes need? So it starts with analyzing the sport. So so for me, it was not that difficult, and I was educated quite fast by by the head coach. Of course, I have a lot of experience in in many other sports, so that helps me helps me a lot. Yeah, you work full time with them, right? So you step by step, you uh, you grow into into the world of ski cross. It always starts with a long phase of physical training and physical training only. That's how we started in was um, May actually in uh, in Shanghai. After two months, um, we went to the snow and start our uh, our skiing sessions. Give us a sense of what the setup is, you know, like for how many athletes are on the squad, how many coaches are that, you know, you talked about the Swiss head coach, uh, there's, I'm sure Chinese coaches as well, like, like, what does it look like from the inside? The team consists of about eight athletes in the beginning. There were some replacements later on, two athletes left, two other athletes were, were added to the team. Why did, why did they leave? Uh, We had two juniors, really young juniors, which were not able to uh, to follow the others so they it was decided that they were not not strong enough not ready for for the big game so they had they had to leave and there were two other athletes uh, added one was injured for a long time after um, an incident last year Uh, she came back to the team so that there was one reason and later on maybe i should elaborate on that one uh, we were merged with uh, another ski cross team well, they made a new selection of, of athletes. But in the end, those were almost all our athletes from the team I was working with uh, from the beginning. And one athlete was added from another team. So we are, we are, we are. So they were like, they were like, they were like parallel Olympic training teams. Yeah. So, and that's quite interesting, I think. So this is one of the cross-discipline teams. Cross-discipline teams in China, they, they have athletes who are selected, selected from completely different sports. And they started this project about three years ago. Uh, they did it for, for snow sports and, and also for the first uh, speed skating team I was working for. Those athletes, they, they started training on the snow actually three years ago. So that's the first time they saw snow, actually. And they started training, uh, basic skiing techniques, um, and then in the end um, moved on to, to ski cross. So it's, it's, it's a short history of, of ski cross ex, uh, experience, more like a development team. Yeah. I mean, this has been a, a huge program, I know, for China. There was, um, there's a, a cross-country skier by the name of uh, Chen Dejen, who's, who's pretty young. He's from Yunnan province in the south of China, so, so pretty warm. He'd actually never seen snow until 2019. And he's one of China's best cross-country skiers right now. I mean, he's, he's, he's not ready to, you know, compete at the top levels, but the, the strides that he's made has been pretty impressive. Like, he was, a, he, was, he was picked because he was a long-distance, you know, middle and long-distance runner. He did 5,000, 10,000 meters. For ski cross, where are they, where are they getting these, these, uh, these athletes from? What sports are they thinking that, you know, you could potentially 
transfer into into ski cross yeah that's interesting that's interesting so the, the girls they are selected from martial arts so they had this idea that if you select athletes from a well-controlled well-disciplined environment um, they should be able to learn basically everything those girls were selected for martial arts wow. and and at a quite young age so one athlete was selected when she was 13 maybe just turned 14 years old the other girls 15 years no nah, 17 years old, a little older, to other girls around 15 years old. So yeah, young young age. And the boys, they are from uh, wrestling, two boys from wrestling, one from trampoline jumping. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, okay, I, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to this. That sounds completely random to me. Like, does that make sense to you? Maybe it does. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe from a physical point of view, there's, there's, some, there's some transferable skills. I mean, I, I don't know what, Potentially, I'm thinking like you know, let's like BMX cross, but you know, like like does that does that make sense? I, I think one of the ideas was that ski cross is one of the freestyle events, and for some of the freestyle events, if you have spatial awareness, body awareness, it can transfer to to aerials okay. or big air or maybe slope style. Um, so trampoline jumping, I think that that was one of the reasons. Just the differences in ski cross. Uh, you don't make backflips. You you don't have rotations in the air. So it's <laughs> well, I, I, I ideally, right? Ideally, <laughs> <laughs> if you do, you're in trouble. Ideally. Yeah, you're right. And in the end, it always starts in China with making uh, KPI reports. So you need to know the key performance indicator of uh, of, of, of the sports that can be related to to strength or or, or conditioning or technical skills or or other performance-related um, measurements. In ski cross, it is an advantage if you have a higher body weight or are a little bit taller. I don't think they, they took that into the testing testing or selection protocol. So our athletes are relatively right. small, relatively lightweight. It doesn't mean that you cannot not reach the, the elite level. It, it is possible, and especially on the women's side, yeah, there is a fair chance if, if, if everything is... Uh, is at a high level, of course, technique-wise, strategy, um, all those things. Of course, you know, they have to choose athletes from somewhere, right? If there's no history, so so they may as well try something. Uh, one one thing I've heard from, from other coaches is that, you know, there's obviously a certain amount of guesswork. You're looking at physical attributes on paper to think, you know, can this can this, this uh, man or woman translate into a different sport? But more than that, it's the intangibles. It's the, the willingness to learn. And it's actually that it's how much someone really takes to the sport. If someone genuinely has a passion for the sport and loves it, then they're going to develop so much more quickly than someone who on paper perhaps might be better, but but just sees it as a job. Like, is that is that fair? Do you think, is that your experience? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know in the previous episode of your, your podcast, uh, you talked about it. Uh, before right with sailing uh, the sailing athlete yeah we yeah with with Shuli Jia. she yeah that was something she said she said that she loved sailing and she was so passionate about it but some of her teammates were just like yeah <laughs> it was a struggle and it was like obviously they weren't going to perform to the very top level under those conditions yeah and i truly believe you you need uh, to be intrinsically motivated and you need to love the sport to to be able to to be competitive with the best in the world, right? Yes, our athletes are selected from from random sports. Uh, they are happy with the job to be an employee and, and and to work in sports. That's basically what it is. There was there was a strong selection. They started with also many many athletes in the beginning, a couple of years ago. So I, I can see that they that they love the sport. Maybe 
you can't compare it with more Western-oriented athletes who have to pay themselves to to practice the sports and, and uh, wants to be the best of the world. In, in China, it's it's already a good thing if you're if you're the best of China usually. But I, I see that they love the sport and they they made a huge progression. So that usually helps if you, if you, if you see that you become better, if you see that you become uh, more competitive with with athletes at, at a higher level, that uh, that usually motivates. Yeah, but you you need 100% to get the best out of it. Job, I have two more questions for you. As you look back over, what's it been, like three years now with, with the Chinese team in total? Yeah, about. I, I had one year break, but uh, I started over a little over three years ago. Yeah. As you look back on your time, you know, with the Chinese team, it, both both obviously with, with skating and, and with ski cross as well, what's your overwhelming emotion? You know, do, are you proud of the progress that you made? Do you sort of just think, well, that was that was an interesting chapter of my life, you know? <laughs> like when you look back on it, and perhaps it's too soon for, to 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 properly reflect. But how would you try to sum that up? Sum up the whole China experience? As you can imagine, it this moment is a little is a moment with with some mixed feelings. So maybe you're right. Maybe I should reflect a little bit later on it. But uh, yeah, for sure, it's 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 an adventure. It brings a lot of experience and and and, and personal growth as well. In in many different aspects. My problem might be, I want the best for the athletes. I want the best out of the best results. And to do that, everything needs to be in in, in, in right order, needs to be organized well, especially if you want to close the gap with uh, with the elite level. You cannot have everything 100%, probably not, not in, in, in any organization, but in China, it's, it's a little bit more challenging to, yeah, to create a situation in which you, can continue to progress and and really get the best out of uh, of all the athletes. That that's part of the the mixed feeling as well. Like there there is potential and yeah, we we, we can do better, but it, it takes time. It's 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 taking step by step by step. If you try to remove yourself from the equation and and look more from a kind of a third party point of view, a bit more um, neutral or objective. How large is China's potential in winter sports? You know, of course they have this initiative, but China has a lot of initiatives for a lot of things and they don't always, usually they don't turn out exactly the way they're planned, but but often they have, you know, large degrees of success, but not always. Is China genuinely going to be a winter sports powerhouse in, you know, four, eight, 12, 16 years from now at the Olympics? Is it going to be kind of like summer sports? You know, how big is that potential what are going to be the decisive or perhaps limiting factors as to whether China reaches that potential? What, what China is is planning to do or already uh, busy doing is that they they build many ski resorts. They they want to bring people to ski resorts in, in numbers we, we we can't imagine. It becomes really really big. The youth is interested in in urban sports. They snowboarding is a bit more popular than uh, than skiing, but that's that's the bottom of the pyramid, right? So. Of course, it helps if the the numbers go up of people who are able to to do winter sports. It starts from there, but you you need to structure with with from club level to to provincial level to to national level, and and that structure is is not there yet. So if you want to continue building building up to, towards a higher level, you need you need to have that structure. And and right now it was like a competitive structure with cross discipline team versus a national team which was more provincial organized connected there needs to, i think there needs to be more more provincial teams and and better structure around around national teams and then and then it takes time 
So for ski cross, you need to have a good alpine uh, base as well. You need to be good in in GS in giant slalom, and that level is is is, is still low. They need to do a lot to to improve the level, but the potential is there is there for sure. If you had to guess, let me let, let me just let me just throw something out there. What are we twenty twenty two by the twenty thirty Winter Olympics? So two more cycles. Where do you think that China would finish in the medals tables? Like are we are we is it top five a realistic possibility? I think it is. I think it is possible. You see that they in a number of sports they at least they are increasing increasing their level, becoming more competitive. But I'm also realistic. Like they, I think they are new ele- elections. They it, at least it's not hundred percent sure. Like if the current uh, minister continue right for for another four years right now nobody knows what will happen in the next olympic cycle how the, how they organize the teams again i think especially in the sports with without much history in, in speed skating it will be all right but for the snow sports it's it's less certain i think it depends a little bit on that like how are they seeing the next olympic games is is all the attention now gone because the beijing olympic games are are finished or do they push forward? I think it's important for them. I think they want to see the show the world that they are they are competitive also in winter sports. But I, I can only hope that they um, that they want to to progress and invest more in the snow sports, winter sports in general. Yo, thank you so much. Really appreciate uh, you taking the time and best of luck. Uh, thanks for sharing your insights about you know what it's been like inside the Chinese winter sports program and best of luck with your future career choices. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It was uh, a pleasure to be on your show. That's the show this week. One thing I want to note is that we did ask Yope how he was feeling after his COVID diagnosis and he's feeling fine. And over the next couple of weeks, it's going to be all Olympics all the time. What are you going to be up to, Mark? Yeah, it's been pretty busy. Um, I've, I think I've did my 20th book interview uh, in the last 10 days last Amazing. night. So that's been uh, that's been kind of keeping me full. Just also been working with, uh, you know, some people looking at the at the Chinese team and, and finalizing some of the rosters. They just announced uh, this morning, I heard, there is going to be uh, China's first Tibetan Olympian. He's a cross-country skier. Uh, that they've uh, got an extra uh, an extra allocation place uh, for him, so that's been sort of a negotiation behind the scenes. But that will definitely be a big story in the uh, in the Chinese media, I think. Now, if you want to hear about this and other stories about the Olympics, just follow the China Sports Insider podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and really anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter. Mark, where can people find you? Dry China on Twitter. D R E Y E R. China. And I'm at Haig Valley, and that's H-A-I-G-B-A-L-I-A-N. We will see you next week.